0: Paramount delivers hits to everyone everywhere, with top shows including Survivor, Spongebob Squarepants, the NFL on CBS, and Tyler Perry's Sistas. Paramount Plus is the fastest-growing streaming service, thanks to favorites like Star Trek Picard, Evil, and Criminal Minds Evolution. And Pluto TV is the top free streaming service globally. Popular is Paramount. See more at Paramount.com.
1: podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I'm the senior media editor at Digiday.
0: And I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday.
1: Kaylee, you had the interview this week and you spoke with Damon Lau, who is the head of gaming and esports at United Talent Agency. Gaming and esports, a few years ago, super hot space. Um, Feels like it's gotten pretty cold lately, especially on the esports side of things. I feel like Alex Lee and Sub Joseph have just been doing a lot of reporting around how Esports organizations are really struggling these days.
0: Yeah, so that's one of the questions I asked Damon because um, that term esports winter or, uh, you know, questioning whether or not the future of esports is even going to be around for very long is fresh on the minds, I'm sure, of a lot of people in the space and especially um, our reporters that cover it. So we did talk about it, Um, Damon. So he said like esports is generally speaking only a small like representative of or a small portion of the entire gaming, streaming uh, industry, right? So like, esports having this kind of bottom falling out moment he doesn't believe will have a ripple effect on the rest of the gaming space as much as it'll be kind of like an isolated issue if you want to call it that and yeah so I mean like a lot of our conversation we talk about more on the streaming side and how um, you know streamers are dealing with platforms kind of fighting for their exclusive uh, streaming rights and how they're trying to monetize themselves through, um, you know, working with advertisers directly, um, which is one of the trends of kind of this esports issue is like advertisers more so going towards the streaming side, it sounds like. So he doesn't have as as pessimistic a view as maybe others might um, on that trend. But yes, yeah, we, do, we do talk about that. But
1: how's it going on the streaming side? Because I mean, like Twitch, for example, it feels like since last fall, everything Twitch does it just pisses off streamers. Like you know, a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, it had or it was going to institute this branded content policy change where you know basically streamers weren't allowed to have baked in ads, and so if you're I don't know a streamer who's sponsored by Gatorade. Um, you couldn't just have a Gatorade bottle, you know, just like sitting on your desk in front of the camera. That would have been a violation of the policy and Twitch got flamed for that. And the next day had to reverse course on this. So it feels like even on the streaming platform side of things that things are pretty touch and go.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you're right on. Like when we talked about kind of this streaming war, um, aspect of streaming like he mentions like tiktok live is now you know a big kind of player in the space like there's these other platforms like kick um youtube like they're coming in to as fast as they can like adopt all of these streamers who are fed up with twitch and don't want to be you know tied into contracts with them anymore so there's this um i guess diversification of like where streamers are are taking their business, where we'll pay them the best, um, give them the best rev share rights. And generally speaking, at least from Damon's perspective, like audiences will follow them to where they go. Um, And we talked about like TikTok, for example, like that is just a very different platform too for kind of these long form streaming videos. Some streamers will be on there for hours at a time. Uh, But, you know, there's investment being made Um, By TikTok to launch like a horizontal, you know, platform so that it's more native for that kind of streaming behavior. So there are, there is competition. And I think if Twitch is not a little bit more um, considerate of streamers, they could have an issue. Um, Damon did say they're still the largest platform from what he could tell, but um, yeah, it, it is a, it is a tricky space. And streamers seem to have a little bit of an upper hand when the other platforms are trying to buy their exclusivity, I guess.
1: Mm, yeah, competition's always a good advantage to have. Uh, awesome. Sounds like an interesting conversation. Let you take it away. Thanks, Kaylee.
0: Thanks, Tim. So, Damon, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you doing today?
2: Not bad, Kaylee. How are you?
0: Doing good. So reason why I wanted to have you on is because we just recently wrapped our Creator Series, which is a four-part mini series that we do on the podcast every year. And this edition of the Creator Series, we focused a lot on short-form vertical video, which has been this like monumental trend in social for the past, uh, I guess, couple of years now. And there's just been this huge resurgence. But we've talked with our creators a lot about this uh, idea of moving short form and how those short form videos help with their, uh, you know, overall presences online, whether it's like driving more traffic to long form or just is becoming the the primary focus for them. Um, but I wanted to have you on the podcast because you work at a really interesting nexus point between uh, creators in the gaming and esports uh, industry, as well as the brands and platforms that they work with. And I'm really curious because like, oftentimes, at least my interpretation of esports and gaming is very like long-form video content. And so I wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about the platforms that we didn't really touch on in the Creator Series, this go-around, which is Twitch and uh, YouTube, a little bit more holistically. But before we get into all of that, I'd love to kind of start by giving our listeners some background into your role, how you got into this industry, this esports gaming industry. Because when we chatted on the phone you know, a couple months ago at this point, you have a very fascinating background. So I'd love to get uh, a little bit of background for our listeners.
2: Sure. So I'll try to give you the most truncated version. Um, But starting at my role right now, I am currently the head of gaming and esports at United Town Agency. Uh, United Town Agency is a global entertainment agency uh, representing the best of the best of people who are all different worlds of media, whether it is famous writers, producers, Writers, producers, actors, directors, but also musicians, podcasters, gamers, and everything else in between. Um, so definitely an amazing company. Um, the business that we operate specifically gaming and esports. Um, you know, we represent the space really broadly. And, and I always kind of explain it to most people gaming and esports is kind of like saying the words like you're, if you're in the business of sports, like what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, gaming and esports kind of is a really really broad space. Um, really, you know, gaming has been around for well over 30 years and has been a meaningful part of media and culture and everything else in between for a really long time. But I think the development, at least for this type of conversation, is in the past 10 years, gaming and esports went from something that you played to something that you watch. And I think that's kind of what's really changed the universe. But going into my background a little bit, um, you know, I'm a serial entrepreneur, I've been part of five different startups, all in emerging industries. have gone through three different exits um, and really just a person of chasing passions in business that I love. Um, everything I was raised to, and born to do was basically to find things that I love and interests that, I, that I'm passionate about and to find the white spaces of where I find opportunity. Um, I've always been a gamer. Um, I fell into the world of gaming really from an organic space where I had a lot of friends who were actively you know, active gamers themselves, and so am I, but more so 10 years ago, got into the hobby and the passion of basically watching people play competitive video gaming. And Mm -hmm. that's where the whole thing started.
0: And so now um, your job, you represent both the gamers, but then also the other intermediaries within esports gaming, because to your point with people watching esports, it's kind of a, a big opportunity. There's a lot of dollars being thrown around in that space now. And so your role, like your current job, how do you engage with each of the different kind of stakeholders in that space?
2: In the world of gaming, are you talking about specifically for advertisers or in another category?
0: Just with, uh, I guess, like gamers in general, like the clients you represent at UTA.
2: Sure. So, I I mean, the way that I break it down for most people, it's really quite simple. Um, You know, us at UTA, we're in the business of people who make, play, and watch video games. Um, ten years ago, we started in the business of representing best-in-class game developers and essentially would help them build studios and to basically build their vision, much like you would imagine a, a director or a producer for a movie. Um, so we will help them find funding for their games help them basically scale the studio and then go through the process of whether that game lives on a specific platform, whether a, an Xbox game pass or a PlayStation store or an Epic game store or anything else that sort of is in the world of gaming and downloads. Um, you know, the separate side to it is we represent best in class content creators, which is more on the play side. Um, as you probably know, and many of the listeners probably know, you know, gaming has always been a major, um, a major category in all UGC, So whether you're talking about TikTok or YouTube or whatever the case may be, um, it's always been top three and the most viewed content in those specific spaces. So we represent a, a lot of the thought leaders in the space. Most of them are primarily Twitch streamers and YouTube streamers and actually in a growing space, TikTok live streamers too as well now. Um, and also we represent um, Esports athletes, so the people who are living and breathing competition every single day. And we represent them much like, you know, traditional sports athletes. So we're brokering deals with teams and see what that relationship looks like and making sure that they're optimal for the players. And then lastly, really where the space is kind of developed and, you know, um, understanding that the space has grown so significantly, especially post pandemic and, and during the pandemic um we represent a lot of media organizations so people that are in the business of gaming content um that really evolved from a lot of the competitive teams and gaming organizations that had developed over the past five or six years but that includes companies like face clan Game square, and international organizations like loud too as well.
0: So I guess picking up on what you were saying about um, gaming and esports being, you know, a top three category on these streaming platforms of, or uh, I guess social platforms of, you know, categories of interest and in what people are watching. I'd love to kind of dive in there a little bit to talk about those, the role of these platforms and how, um, you know, esports athletes and. Like gaming content creators specifically are utilizing those platforms. Um, So I guess my personal knowledge or background with gaming is probably uh, very early stages compared to yours. Uh, My gaming experience is very much tied to The Sims and when I played that growing up. But um, I do know through my colleague Alex Lee's reporting for Digiday is that uh, Twitch has been a very predominant Platform, right? And to your point earlier, like that's that's kind of a predominant place for uh, content of this nature. But you also mentioned YouTube. I've, I've heard Kick and now TikTok Live have been really coming into the fold here. I'm really curious, like how maybe the clients you represent are feeling about this kind of transition, maybe away from Twitch to these other platforms, or if there is just this uh, pressure to be omnipresent across all of these platforms right now? Like, what are the roles of, you know, live streaming in how major players in this space are thinking about when they have to be creating content?
2: Sure. Well, I mean, the, the best way I could sort of answer that question is to tell you a little bit of a story. And the story being is sort of like how the the, the world of gaming content has kind of developed in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I think in the beginning, if you rewind back, even like going as far as like 10, 15 years ago... You know, gaming content has been around for a really, really long time. I would say, generally speaking, most of the content that you would view would be primarily on YouTube and Twitter. Um, and it would either be conversational, uh, focused towards casual gaming and entertainment, or leading towards a side of just like trying to get better at a video game, it's like improvements, like how do I finish this level or how do I beat this boss or how do I make my character a lot, a lot bigger and better? Um, You know, when eSports started becoming a bigger thing, let's call it around eight years ago, um, that's kind of what really changed the landscape in gaming overall. I think what you had in gaming is a global audience and a global audience that is passionate about a lot of IP and a lot of different types of games. And I think that when eSports started becoming a lot more popular, it was a way for people to start engaging in the content in kind of a different way. And, and, And the reason being is that Watching competitive gaming and the nature of a lot of the biggest games in the world over the past 10 years happened competitive ones. I think people really got engaged watching it very much like a sport. I think where that sort of diverged into, though, is really starting to be involved into watching long form content in a way where it feels more engaging. Um, You know, when you think about platforms like Twitch, for example... I think a lot of people recognize that it was probably the birthplace and the home for where eSports kind of really grew and started. But what I would tell you is that less than 10% of the content being viewed right now on Twitch is actually eSports. It's actually usually, yeah, it's usually gaming content or gaming adjacent content. And really, I think what happened in the space with eSports sort of getting so big, you had a lot of the leading people who were competitive at video games Really, taking a making a decision to not necessarily always have to compete at the high level, but really to try to create content based off the fandom that they created, just being professionals, and then you kind of created this world where people slowly over time enjoyed spending time with the content creators, playing the games that they loved and watched, but more importantly, felt like that they were spending time with people and building relationships with them. And when you think about the nature of long-form video versus short-form video or VOD, um, the biggest difference in my mind is real-time engagement and connectivity. Meaning that when you watch short-form video, I think obviously from a global awareness perspective, it's short, it's fast, it's enjoyable, and it's definitely a hot topic for many. But when you wanna go in deeper and really understand what it's like to spend time with somebody, I think that's where long-form video is something that's really unique and different. A, because the experience is different. It makes it feel like that you're sitting beside that person. They're watching and playing with you or whatever the case or whatever they may be doing. Uh, But more importantly, the way that the the platforms work within long-form video, it's much more engagement the way that you can speak with them. So things like chat, uh, different types of gift. And the types of reactions that you have within that platform, it allows you to sort of be directly connected with that influencer or that content creator. And that just really makes it for it to be a different experience.
0: And so given that Twitch has a very, um, I would say, a very active chat feature and you could send things to the players or the streamers and really have your voice kind of on the screen, is Twitch still kind of the predominant platform for streaming, gaming, streaming content or gaming adjacent streaming content? Or how are these other platforms that are emerging, like that are trying to get into that live position competing from that, um, I guess, like one-to-one conversation perspective?
2: Yeah. So I, I would say that, you know, if you rewind back maybe four years ago, I think Twitch was in a place where they're by far and large, the thought leaders, the market leaders, and not only had a loyal fan base of people who are watching content, but you truly had a a loyal fan base of creators that were super loyal to Twitch as a platform. I think, you know, if you look at the, the rise in competition in the past three or four years, a lot of that has actually changed now. That being said, it's just like if you had to think about the significant players, like you mentioned before, like the Kicks, which are generally very new businesses and new companies, but are flourishing really well. You have, you know, obviously global conglomerates like YouTube Live, who have been making significant plays in the past two or three years to build and create. And more importantly, um, migrate streamers who were exclusive to Twitch to come to YouTube Live. The reality is, is like the market has changed now. And I think that. Although Twitch, from a market share perspective, is still a leader, what you really have is a market that's flourishing, where live or long-form content is becoming more and more important on different platforms. You have an audience that's willing to go to other platforms, not just because those platforms um, offer something different, because you have creators who you may have followed on Twitch and made a decision to migrate to other places. And the reality is a lot of the audience is also following them. So uh, I I guess the short answer is that Twitch is still the market leader right now when it comes to long form video or specifically streaming, but um, the competition is definitely heating up. And I think that the reality is, is that the audience is willing to go to places where they feel like their favorite content creators are making the best content for
1: them.
0: And so generally speaking, it, it sounds like many streamers have exclusivity agreements with streaming platforms because... Again, I feel like if you're spending, you know, 12 hours a day streaming, you can't do both. Like you can't do that both on Twitch and YouTube. Like, I guess how are they signing agreements with these platforms? Like, what do those agreements kind of look like? And what are the platforms doing to try and win that exclusivity with a streamer?
2: Well, I mean, the the way that Twitch started in the beginning, and, and, and maybe I can go back and sort of explain the dynamic of how does a streamer make money and and how do they kind of operate their business? So, um, you know, Twitch in its initial iteration, um, you know, was a free service for people to essentially sign on, become a content creator, have a channel. Um, And really there's three essential ways that people who are live streamers make money. So I'd say the first would be uh, running advertising, something that's very typical across all the major platforms, I think the uniqueness, at least when it comes to live streaming is that you can choose your ad breaks to play, whatever you feel like, I mean that you get to pick that option, push a space bar and an ad plays versus it sort of just being slotted into your, your video on YouTube or, or such. Um, so one is obviously programmatic advertising. I think the second side of it is basically donations and gifts. Donations and gifts definitely have become a bigger thing across all UGC, but I think specifically within uh, live streaming, um, the ability to be able to donate to somebody and to see yourself live on a screen has created a different type of experience for people to be fans. I think the fandom factor, not only should you sort of get this attention from the streamer who is sort of honoring the donations that they're accepting from their fan base, you also get the, your name in front of every other person that's watching that live content. So there's different forms of gifting and donations and things of that sort. Um, there's also subscribers, too, as well, basically being able to pay to a channel. And, and it's a monthly fee where you don't have to see any advertising. And then lastly, um, you know, most streamers are making money through uh, branded content. So native integrations that they're doing within their streams. Um, so, with that in mind, knowing that that's generally how live streamers are, are 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 making money, when you take a step back and you think about like what the where the direction of their business is generally going, and the direction of their business generally going is that um you know, they're making money from advertising, they're making money from all these different things. But when they signed to Twitch and had the ability to be able to run ads, so that's how Twitch basically operated, meaning that if you wanted the ability to run ads and to monetize in that specific way, you had to become a partner. And part of becoming the partner at Twitch previously was you had to sign an exclusive agreement being that you can't really live stream anywhere else. So that was really sort of an interesting way that Twitch started their business versus a lot of the other social platforms. And I think where, you, where you're at right now is that Twitch has changed a lot of the rules on the way that streamers can operate on that platform. Um, I also believe in the past three years, you know, companies like YouTube have really made lucrative offers to make streamers or offer streamers to basically come to another platform to move their audiences over. And really it started something three years ago called Streamer Wars, which is essentially, it was a complete let's, uh, all the competitors in the space, including uh, a previous platform known as Mixer, which was owned by Microsoft. Um, it was a really notorious time where streamers were basically mining platforms. And a lot of it started from a content creator named Ninja, who was probably the most prolific at that time Twitch streamer making a move into another platform. I don't think at that time, anyone had really thought that that was something that you could do or you should do because uh, Twitch is market leading position. But that really snowballed an entire effect of really streamers understanding that you can move your audience to different places. And more importantly, that there are opportunities with minimum guarantees for you to go to other places and to create your content there.
0: We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Paramount is behind some of today's most popular content, from Yellow Jackets to the most watched show on TV, Yellowstone. It's home to big sport events like UEFA Champions League, hot dramas like Fire Country and Fatal Attraction, iconic reality franchises like RuPaul's Drag Race, and fan favorites like The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and Ghosts. Popular is Paramount. See more at Paramount.com. You mentioned that Twitch has changed the rules a little bit for their partners. I think it was the beginning of this month, right, where they recently uh, put into effect a new um, like rev share agreement for their, I guess, top streamers, or maybe it was all of their partners. Um, I have the numbers written down here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's like, the pre-existing agreements were like a 70-30 split for the first hundred thousand dollars earned through subscription revenue. And then um that's after that it's it's now like a fifty-fifty share split. I don't know. I feel like I'm getting these numbers wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they recently switched their revenue share rules at Twitch. What's the role of these kind of revenue share changes in the streaming wars? Like, how does that kind of play a role in, in changing how gamers are thinking about where they want to have exclusivity?
2: Um, it's playing a significant role. I, I I think that, number one, I think that there's not only been a change this past month, but in the past six months to even, I'd say, over up to a year, Twitch has had a lot of changes from a leadership perspective and have constantly sort of tried to change the business model of what it means to be a creator on their platform. And I think the reality is, is that they've made so many changes and, and actually have tried to implement changes and backpedaled a number of times. Um, it's quite frustrating for streamers. I think they they understand and know that as a content creator on Twitch, typically speaking, and most of our clients are spending anywhere between, let's call it 20 to 40 hours a week. On a single platform, so very much a full-time job, um, five days a week, sometimes six days a week, and really, it's not even in a, in a sense where I think it's a very different experience to be a live streamer because it's an always-on type of thing. Like you're on, you're online and streaming for six to seven hours straight sometimes. Um, so I think as they evaluate where they spend their time and that Twitch has constantly changed the business model and the different types of web share. So you are correct where it went from a 50-50 to a 70-30 back to a 50-50. Um, it's challenging for creators to, number one, trust the fact that the business that they're building on the platform is going to be lucrative enough for them to continue. I think that changes, obviously, depending on the size of the creator, first and foremost. But, you know, the, the reality is, is that. Um, if rev share and the opportunities to be able to generate revenue in the platform don't match the opportunity that they see in other platforms, there's always a consideration to move to other places. Because the reality is, other streamers have moved away from Twitch, have done it very successfully, and have continued to grow their business off-platform. Yeah. That's 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 the fact.
0: Yeah. And so one of the other questions I had was like, how other platforms are kind of um, either offering better revenue share. Uh, like, st- like I guess, terms or if they are doing kind of incentives to get streamers to switch. Um, I think when we were talking with the um, creator series guests around um, short-form vertical video, like I platforms who are trying to grow their uh, short-form vertical video were offering creators like just a ton of money. Like, like fifty thousand dollars just to start posting reels or like uh snapchat is just being very like aggressive with how much they're giving creators to start posting on the platform and those numbers eventually get smaller and smaller but like how are these competitive platforms working to compete with what you know twitch is presently offering and, you know, changing a lot. It sounds like a lot of flip-flopping.
2: Yeah. So uh, I would say, obviously, the it depends on the size of creator that you are. But at a baseline, I think a lot of the other platforms are offering uh, revs, rev splits on the subscription or advertising revenue that's much more ne- meaningful than Twitch. I think when you're thinking about moving upstream into, like, let's call it head and leading creators within categories... Really, at the end of the day, it is also the cash incentive and minimum guarantees are being offered. So, very much along the lens of probably how you think about short form video. Um, But what I would say is the difference between the business is add a bunch more zeros to the back of that fifty thousand dollars. That's probably the reality of like thinking about a top streamer moving to a different platform and the economics behind the business, which is meaningful and it's significant uh, and it's been a really sort of big indicator that. Um, these social platforms and how they think about live streaming, it's its its meaningful and important to them.
0: Yeah. And so you had mentioned TikTok Live being a, a newcomer into the space. And I'm curious how that kind of fits into some of these other platforms. Because, you know, I, when I think of like, you know, game streaming, it's horizontal. But TikTok is a vertically native platform. Does that present any challenges or even advantages? Like, how does that kind of fit into the equation?
2: I mean, I think there's definitely two sides to that coin. Um, what I would tell you is that, you know, where live stream has definitely gone over the past few years is like, yes, uh, gamers continue to be the most meaningful part of the audience. Um, but the reality is, is that actually talk content has probably grown to be one of the most significant categories of content that, you know, um, are on Twitch, are prominent when it comes to live streaming and actually translate really well into vertical video. Mm. So I think that there's components to the similar audience and the viewing experience that you see on Twitch that translates really well. And I think also too, is that TikTok itself is actually working on desktop variations of their application. So changing the potential viewing experience. So um, what you have is, you know, to summarize it from a macro perspective is that uh, live streaming, and the content that's being produced is not solely gaming anymore. It's really broadened in the type of content that's being created. Although gaming's still very much part of the DNA and very much still the biggest part of the business. Uh, And that being said, I think that the platform that TikTok is creating and the way that they're evolving the app and the content is gonna allow A, uh, a better experience to watch gaming and also uh, the current viewing experience on the mobile side works really well for a lot of the things that are tracking really on live streaming.
0: So is TikTok then like a, a prime contender for winning over some exclusivity agreements with streamers or at least like the ones that you work with?
2: Uh, the short answer is potentially yes. Uh, you know, due to confidentiality, I wouldn't be able to talk about who goes where, but I would tell you that all content creators right now, specifically the ones at Twitch, are looking at every sort of opportunity possible to see where where it makes sense for themselves and their business, but also like for their fan bases, um, you know, there's been a lot of other changes that maybe you may not be aware of on Twitch, where they tried to implement a rule only a few days ago, talking and, and trying to limit native advertising on people's own streams. So I think that if you think about how the business, at least for live streamers, has been on Twitch. And how it's sort of flip flop between different rules and different changes and then a lot of competitors you now have this sort of other component to to the whole business where um how do you say this if you're if twitch tries to sort of eliminate a major revenue stream that not only is a major revenue stream for content creators on twitch but content creators in general I think the reality is is that much more incentive for people to be able to look at other platforms as a better home for their business.
0: Right. And one of the questions I had for you is like, I guess if you're seeing more brands in the space wanting to work directly with uh, creators in native um, ads or in branded content deals, and if that, um, you had mentioned, I think that's like the fourth most significant way that these streamers make money, if that is the largest part, because for other creators, brand deals typically are the most substantial part of their income. I guess, like, has there been a trend with brands just wanting to, like, circumvent platforms in general, and then just put all their ad dollars in this space towards, like, the streamers themselves? And it sounds like Twitch noting that is probably upset and trying to, you know, under get their, get their share. But is that the the biggest part of, you know, how streamers make money?
2: Um, I would say that, uh, you know, talking about the revenue streams previously, it wasn't necessarily in order of the biggest to smallest. I would say that there's some streamers where that is by far and large, the biggest revenue stream. And for others, maybe not so much. It kind of depends on the person, the type of content that you create and the business that you have, but generally speaking always probably say top two. And, um, for a very, very long time, not only have advertisers and marketers worked directly with streamers to sort of natively integrate their content, I would say, even specifically during the pandemic and post pandemic, it's been growing more than ever. Um, you know, when I think about the world of live streaming and gaming, you know, pre pandemic, you know, f- from an advertiser's perspective, it was always that innovation category that you know that you needed to think about that market and that demographic. And, you know, if you were, let's say, a blue chip brand or part of a Fortune 500 company and you're thinking about your marketing mix pre-pandemic, you thought about, you know, what can I do experiential? Where can I buy ads? um, How should I think about sports? How should I think about music? And oh, yeah, like gaming is a really big audience and it's a global audience. I need to figure out what to do there. But it was always an innovation category, not part of the core marketing mix. I think heading into the pandemic and the reality is of everyone sort of staying home and trying to find content. That is really sort of what poured rocket fuel all over the business. You had hundreds of millions of people who were discovering a form of content that was fun, engaging, and more importantly, very real to them in a time where there was just such, such limited content out in the market. Um, so that definitely grew the business. And I think for a lot of advertisers, they recognize that they recognize the fact that, um, you're unable to predict the future, and if you're not thinking about where the future is going to go, um, you need to think about it right now. So that was a moment in time that I think a lot of advertisers really woke up and they're like, we need to think about gaming and live streaming in that market and what it means to our customers. And then coming out of the pandemic, instead of being an innovation category, more than ever, I talked to more and more blue chip brands where it is now part of their core marketing mix. Um, when I take a look at some of our clients and the brands that they work with, like, Working with uh, being a global ambassador for an Under Armour, um, be, uh, launching you know clients like Base Clan having their own Nike shoe launching globally across or sorry across North America, um, it's a really really big business. So um, the short answer is yes, but I think it, it, with an exclamation point, um, it's getting bigger and more important to marketers advertisers than ever.
0: And so you mentioned that native ads or like branded content deals are typically one of the top two is that other kind of piece the revenue share with the streaming platforms themselves or was it more like the uh, the subscriptions and the donations from viewers as the top
2: i would say it's it's a revenue share so subscriptions fall underneath the same category of revenue that they had to share the platform donations kind of being the one that they don't share um, but yes, I would say that this secondary to many streamers and content creators, um, the revenue that's being generated on the platform through their own advertising or through, through their own sort of like revenue generating mechanisms, and which is very unique in live stream because there's so much more than, you know, other platforms because of the user experience um, that is always usually swapping to between number one and number two for them
0: got it. Okay, that that is really helpful. Um and so talking about this kind of transition out from uh or into the pandemic where so many eyeballs were going into the gaming and like that audience just like blossomed the money you know came in. Um now there's this like what I'm hearing is called like a esports winter or uh I think like my colleague Alex Lee has been reporting on advertisers kind of shifting dollars out um, as part of the larger like macroeconomic situation, right? So I'm curious what your thoughts are or like what your take is on this, you know quote unquote, eSports winter and how you've been working with you know your clients and, and brands and developers even in understanding what's going on and making sure that there isn't like significant impacts to their livelihoods at the end of the day.
2: I think that you know the esports winter narrative has kind of you know come up specifically in the past 6 to 12 months evolving uh, revolving around esports organizations um that had very large valuations pre-pandemic and um you know the the, the reality is is that I think that esports at its core is facing a few ch- very very challenging times um I think when it comes to specifically the esports organizations and the ones that had not diversified their business in the past three to five years, um, it's very challenging for them. I would also argue to say that the esports organizations that have diversified their businesses, some of them are actually flourishing significantly. And the reality is, is that esports, understanding that it's only 10% of the content that's being viewed on platforms like Twitch, um, esports itself. The viewership and the business might be feeling an impact, but broadly, the gaming media business, which esports is a small subset of it, is actually flourishing and continuing to grow. So I think that there's a reality to seeing where certain segments of the business are finding challenges. But I think from a macro perspective, I'm still continuing to see more and more brands spend significantly in this space. I think more importantly, it's, it's less about the, the, them spending less dollars and more about them find, trying to find more impact with their dollars. So although if you think about the digital media spend for advertisers in general across social platforms, maybe seeing an impact overall, what I'm seeing specifically within gaming and live streaming is still more spending, but just smarter spending. And I think that the the areas of the business that were not prepared for more savvy advertisers aren't ready for it and basically are probably feeling the biggest brunt of it all. But the overall business kind of continues to flourish. And again, it became less of a... Oh, this is on the outside of the way that we think should think about culture and very much now understanding that people and and advertisers are understanding that there is a huge global audience that sort of identify as gamers. Mm -hmm. And if you're sort of ignoring that audience, that's a really blind spot in the way that you should be thinking about advertising.
0: Right. And so you mentioned this idea of like a savvy advertiser. And I think that's been a theme throughout the the media industry is like realizing that advertisers want a lot of data. They want to know like their dollars are being used effectively and um, intentionally and are reaching the right people. I guess like how are... Either you know streamers and their their management teams who are, uh, you know, looking at native deals, or um, you know the the platforms that are uh, trying to keep ad dollars coming in from the programmatic side. Like, what it is being asked of them at this point to uh, deliver on what advertisers are still willing to spend?
2: I think it's changing, and it's changing for a lot of different reasons. So, so, so one, I think that. Um, And let's use a a platform like Twitch because all of them are really different, but Twitch kind of being the market leader. You know, the thing that I've been working with advertisers to understand more is that when they approached the space initially five or six years ago, it was purely awareness. We want people to be aware of our product, our service, our brand. What can we do to get it out there? What does that mean? and how? But, you know, it was such an important thing for them just for people to know. But after kind of everyone knows, I think really where the market's trying to shift to in some way, shape or form, is trying to understand performance. And a key component to performance is trying to reach the demographic that's most impactful to you. When you look at a platform like Twitch, to know the fact that if you take a look at it, and let's just say you take the top 10 people on that platform, the top 10 people with the biggest audiences, the most subscribers, um, a lot of them have highly engaged audiences that pay $5 essentially not see any type of programmatic advertising at all. Mm -hmm. So by design, interestingly enough, the platform actually eliminates the most engaged subscribers of every single content creator with a fee. So I think as advertisers sort of got more savvy to like, what are the mechanics on platform that matter? And what's the audience that you want to reach? This is sort of a key example that they realize if if I want to advertise with XYZ type of demographic, and these are the top five people that create that type of content, the most highly engaged portion of their audience that pays money every single month, I can't reach them. Yep. And so that's where native advertising became a, a, a much more meaningful part that outside of your programmatic spend that you do specifically within, within uh, live streaming, you also need to think about it natively too as well because the mechanisms on the platform actually block your traditional ads from being able to scale the awareness. So that's just a sort of key example that technology now is becoming a better component to the way that not only people are targeting uh, the people that they wanna reach from an advertising perspective, but they're creating experiences where you could sort of engage with the brand a little bit better. And that's where, you know, live streaming becomes so interesting that you have on screen components such as chat, such as clickable components pixel tracking and everything else in between that allows you to track a lot better. So I think that advertisers are seeing that if there's a technology component that allows them to gauge a little bit deeper, as opposed to simply awareness, that's the thing that's really lucrative and exciting for them. So if you're not doing the scale awareness program, what you're really trying to do is to find the customers that can eventually convert for you in some way, shape or form.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's again, kind of like leading into what that, uh, holistic media transition has been regarding advertising. Um, and one of the things, as we come up to the end of this episode, one of the things I did want to ask is, like, you mentioned during the pandemic this, like, large influx of viewers coming in because, you know, at the time people were looking for entertainment. They were looking for a way to, uh, you know, disassociate online for a little bit. Just, you know, finding fun content. I'm curious how in this kind of, like, um return towards normality, how audiences have shifted as well. Because it, I'm sure like the people who are the biggest fans of a streamer or of a game or of esports, they're still watching because it's, you know, their passion. But for like the, the casual cohort, has there been like a, a decrease in viewership? Has like long form streaming ha- like, had this fall off of audience at all? Or like, I guess, how is that... Um, How has that been impacted?
2: Yeah, so what I would say is that if you take a look at the uh, overall watch time, and that's the way that we kind of measure it when it comes to live streaming, overall watch time for live streaming platforms has uh, gone down since the pandemic, Um, but for me, uh, overall has still grown as opposed to pre-pandemic. Meaning that like when you're watching live streaming, number one, the the way that you engage it, on that type of content is, you know, sometimes for a lot of people, it's very much a second screen experience while you're at work, while you're at school. There's also a certain level of seasonality when it comes to business. So, you know, during the summer, we typically see traffic overall go down a little bit just because people may be outdoors or maybe traveling, maybe doing vacations, things of that sort. Uh, and then we typically see a resurgence that happens, you know, after Labor Day. So you know, although the fact that viewership has gone down during a time where almost everyone is home and everyone was looking for anything to consume and watch and do from from online, um, I still see that the overall industry is gro- is still growing. And you know, if you match the growth trend from pre-pandemic to post-pandemic, and you sort of skip that let's call it eighteen month two year window, you're still sort of seeing the hockey puck go up. I don't necessarily think that it was a at the same momentum, but the reality is this isn't specific to live streaming video. That's that's sort of overall when it came to, you know, whether you're spending time on Netflix, on Amazon Prime, whether you're spending time looking at TikToks. I think all of them have gone down from a time where everyone was just sitting at home, but at least in live stream video, still continue to grow overall. And more importantly, a lot of people who are not used to watching live streaming got used to the idea of it and were exposed to content. And that's why I think that content is actually changing on the platform and changing in a way where the experience is different. You're not, you may be a fan of a video game and watching a content creator that focuses on games, but very much you also might be watching a person that does live podcasting. And it's really sort of going through that similar experience and became a fan of that person too, as well.
0: So final question for you as we wrap up this episode, I'm curious, like, what are some of the biggest trends you're watching or you're excited about through the remainder of the year or things that you're keeping an eye on? Because, you know, maybe you're less excited about them. But just, you know, as we wrap up uh, 2023, what are some things you're watching?
2: You know, I think a big thing for me is um, seeing creatives, creators of color really starting to flourish more than ever. Um, you know, we represent a live streamer and a content creator by the name of Kai Sanat. Um, if you haven't seen his content, you definitely need to look him up. He is absolutely amazing. But the thing that's been amazing with content creators like him is that um, he came onto a platform like Twitch, let's call it around 18 months ago, and has literally broken every single viewership metric that, that exists on the platform. And his content isn't purely gaming. And he is part of an organization called AMP, which we also represent too, as well. And it is a collective of creators of color. And for me to see that, like, diversity in content, more importantly, not in representation, literally in content, and to see it breaking records is such an amazing thing for me to see. Um, Being a person of color myself, like it really sort of shows me the fact that the world is changing and that there's a huge audience for different types of content and those creators are flourishing within those spaces. I think that's amazing. And I think for me, another trend that I see growing and changing is uh, sports content, but sports content with a focus towards creators, not professional. Um, When I see the market right now, I see so many creators who are getting so creative with the way that they think about sports adjacent content. Um, I think it's not only sort of tapping into a global audience that may be passionate about sports, but a very interesting angle when you look at all the rules that have changed from things with NIL and everything else in between. You're seeing this whole new generation of people Whether you're a, you know, a college football kicker to an Olympic gymnast, you see these people outside of the talents that they have within the sports that they're in. It's actually creating really unique content that, you know, it's just so entertaining. So those are definitely two trends that I'm watching, whether you're talking about live stream, VOD, short form overall. Um, it's definitely a trend that I think it's going to be really important for the future.
0: Well, thank you so much, Damon, for joining me on the podcast. This was such a fascinating conversation. And I appreciate you uh, being understanding of my just trying to learn about some of the basics here. But this was extremely interesting. So thank you so much. No
2: worries. I appreciate the time. It was fun.
0: And thank you for listening to the Digiday podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode.